Hi, and welcome to this supplemental episode of Women at Warp. I'm very excited today because I am here with Donna Cromines and Tony Marbury, who submitted and sold a script to Star Trek through the oft-lauded open submissions policy during the, the next gen and DS9 eras. And we are going to talk about that today. Hello, Donna and Tony. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for having us. us. I'm so thrilled. Um, where I want to start is asking you before you submitted a script through this policy, what was your relationship with Star Trek? Were you fans? And I guess uh, we'll go to Donna first. Tony and I knew each other and have known each other a long time. And we met while working at a television station in Beaumont, Texas. And I don't remember if the show actually aired Next Generation or not. But uh, yes, yes. We did, and it did. And we became fans and uh, friends and fans. And we started, um, we'd go, you know, to each other's apartments to watch, uh, to watch the episodes and things and and I hadn't realized it about how I'm going to date myself how long ago it was I know Tony never ages so it, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah at that time we were both you know single women professional you know career women if you would uh working in television and so um we became big fans of the show and then um, I moved away. I moved to Mississippi and Tony stayed in, in Beaumont and got married and had a family and all this, but I moved to Mississippi, but we, you know, we, were, we stayed in touch and we'd often talk about the show and that kind of thing. And then they did something that made both of us very angry and I'll let Tony pick it up from there. Oh, well, first of all, I was a fan. I was only five, I think, when it started. But I remember watching with my dad, the original. And, of course, the reruns mm -hmm. in the 70s. Uh, but, yeah, we, we actually bought that. Our TV station aired it. And I remember stringing it up, you know, early. Just I couldn't believe someone had the audacity to do Star Trek again. But I watched it, and I, I really saw possibility and stuff. Um, so yeah, we enjoyed uh, Next Generation, and then they, and then Tasha Yar got killed off, and that really upset us. Just because you know she was a very strong woman character, and you know we we really liked her, and were you know very much not happy about it. And uh, Donna, I think you're the one that heard about the open submissions. And I think it was actually I think so, yeah. Yeah, your idea, like let's you know let's come up with something. And the basic premise was it's science fiction. So nobody ever really dies. And mm -hmm. so we came up with a story idea where we essentially, uh, in a nutshell, we bring Tasha Yar back to life in the form of a small hologram that Data carried with him. They get stranded on this planet, an away team gets stranded on this planet and the same, well, the opposite of the entity that killed her, they encounter its, its opposite on this planet. But it cannot communicate to them that it's friendly. And then they find a way to do it by embodying the Tasha Yar figure in Data's hologram. 
and we started writing a script to that effect. Now, that's not as simple as it sounds today or would be today. <laughs> Back when we did this, there was a newfangled contraption you could get out there called a computer. <laughs> I bought one. There was no internet. There was no email, nothing. And my word processing program was first choice. And I bought first choice because uh, it's a DOS-based program. And I don't know how many of your listeners may remember that. <laughs> but I bought it because the type on it was gold and not that sick green. <laughs> so I bought it. And we started communicating back and forth either by phone and then by U.S. Postal Mail. <laughs> Tony didn't have a, I don't even think you had a typewriter at the time. Wow. No, I did not. I wrote everything longhand. She would mail her notes to me. She was in San Antonio, Texas at the time. I was in Jackson, Mississippi. She would mail her notes to me. I would type them up in script form, and then I would mail them back to her. I think we put my mailman's son through college, <laughs> you know, doing that. And then we finally, you know, we, we came up with a story. Tony came out, came out, out to Jackson to visit. Well, you know what? You never really dated this. This, this was like in September of 1989. Right, because it took, what, half a season for them to make you mad enough to want to fix the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct. So, yeah, so that visit that I went to was in December, where we got together to hash out the story and then broke down who's going to write what and that kind of thing. Because we had, like, the segments, and, yeah, like she said, she would put all the segments together on that dot matrix picture and uh, <laughs> yes. send me back the, the, the new version with stuff, and we just kept adding to it. And to be honest with you, Sue, we almost gave up midway through it because midway through our production of the script star trek next generation made a big announcement that denise crosby was returning to star trek next generation but they didn't say as tasha yard they just said she was returning to star trek next generation we're going well fudge you know in 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 more glorious terms sure <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of backed off a little bit till that episode aired that aired february in 1990 that episode was called yesterday's enterprise mm -hmm. where it turned out it was a different version of tasha yar it was her daughter it was her daughter well that's yesterday's enterprise is the alternate timeline her daughter comes back later as a romulan oh that's you're right. You're right. You're right. That's right. It was, it was heard the alternate timeline with the, the, the C, the Enterprise C, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we realized at that time when it aired that their story in no way affected our story. So we finished the script and they had a sci-fi fantasy convention of sorts, a small one in New Orleans, which was about two and a half hours away from me. And it was an airplane ride for Tony. And we went only because Melinda Snodgrass, 
who was one of the writers of the show at the time, was going to be there. We found out when we got there, she quit. Oh, that's right. She had just left the show. She, she had just quit. We were like, oh, no. So there went our connection into the show. And so, but she was gracious enough at that convention. We spent an hour or more, I think, in the, in the bar at the convention talking <laughs> to her and telling her, you know, not necessarily telling her our story, telling her that we were submitting. And she gave us all of these great tips of how to do it and how to get our script seen you know, your spacing and don't, don't do this and do this and, and, and they'll pick up your script and they'll flip through the pages. And if it doesn't meet that format, they'll toss it. They won't even look at it. So it wasn't even writing advice. It was more like formatting advice. Correct. Interesting. It was more formatting advice, which says that tells them you're serious about this. That tells them you're a professional writer. That tells them you you really want this. I think, didn't we uh, also buy a couple of random scripts at that convention for the formatting purposes, you know, to see what it yes. looks like. Smart. And, and yeah, because we had never seen a real script before. And again, they're not as, they weren't as easy to find like you can now. But yeah, we, we used them. And some, and then, and then, then, you know, we had heard about the program. So I had gone online about the program and there was somewhere you could connect to them and they would send you a guidelines Bible. And I got a box that had like three or four booklets in it telling you, you can do this, you can't do this. And it tells you exactly what kind of stories they didn't want to see, what kind of stories they said. There was one that it was just the schematics of the mm -hmm. ship and the, uh, the, the, the weapons and everything. So stay away from this show, that shows. Something else that Melinda told us too is a mistake that a lot, some of the beginning writers they were seeing were having was they went too big and it made their episode that they were submitting too expensive to produce. Didn't she tell us it was like $1,000 a laser shot? Yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was expensive. You, they're looking more for stories, you know, what the story, the heart of the story was not about, you know, science, the big sci-fi and special effects. You know, space battles and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was more about the character. You know, we want character shows. Yeah, I found one of those submissions guidelines pages uh, online from, I think it was the mid-90s, that, that lists, you know, no major character changes, no and all of these things to avoid. And one of the things I remember reading was don't bring anybody back from the dead. And I'm, I'm wondering if that affected the story that you were working on, if you considered the, this Tasha Yar hologram to be bringing her back from the dead. No, actually, the story for in my mind was more about, it was called for, the script was called Full Circle because she died so suddenly. And I guess it's kind of like for us, we never got to say goodbye to her, really. Mm. You know, it was just a sudden death. And so our, our, the main gist of our episode was each character kind of, like, Troy had guilt over her death. Like, she died protecting me. You know, Data had guilt. Riker had guilt. All of them. And it was kind of a way that they could say goodbye to Tasha and get closure. Because she was, it was never about really bringing the whole character back. It was more about closure mm. for those characters involved. So from that standpoint, I don't think it was necessarily 
bringing her bringing, back yeah. from, the, from the dead. Yeah, it was never supposed to be a permanent thing ever. It right. was just, she, she served her purpose. We all got, everybody got to say goodbye. And, you know, I, I guess that helped me get, it was, <laughs> I guess it was my way of getting closer. <laughs> yeah. But then um, after we did that and we finished the script. We finished it May of 90. Yeah, and then we we did a very smart thing that ended up benefiting us greatly is we registered that script with the Writers Guild. Hmm. At that time, you could register, and I don't know if you still can. It's been a while since I've checked into it because, like I said, I know this whole process of a fan or somebody submitting and actually selling a story idea or something to the show is is almost unheard of these days. And it was, you know, it was pretty bizarre or unusual back then. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because you were taking it on faith, you know, that they wouldn't read it and rip you off. Right. You know, that, I mean, it, it was good faith. From, from what I've read on it, most studios, even working for, for Paramount at the time, would not accept blind script submissions. And it was something, according to to this article, special that, that Michael Piller had worked out with the studio and right when yeah. when they did finally end this policy from what i can tell in around 2001 it was over these legal concerns that that people were right would would sue say claiming that they wrote that story exactly yeah and it's this, it's the same thing you see today you see like on twitter and facebook and things you see fans talking to the writers of their favorite TV shows and saying, oh, I have this great story idea. And the writers are going, we are, we right. cannot see it. We, we cannot look at it. We cannot hear it. We are contractually obligated. Mm -hmm. Not, we cannot because of all these legal concerns. So it, it evolved. Yeah. It evolved out of that. Um, then we finally got it submitted. That was September of 90 then became the waiting process. And, and what did they tell you, Donna, what not to do? Don't contact them. <laughs> and what did you do, Donna? I contacted them. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. I, it, it said, don't, you know, don't contact. And by that, it's don't call us every week and say, are you buying my story? <laughs> right. I, I did it, what, every four months or so? Yeah, I, but, yeah. Yeah, but you called, let's see, well, yeah, you called in December. I called in, was about, yeah. in December, and and it said, it's made this process, and actually at that time I was told, check back within, in a few months. Then I was told, check back. But you also found out it got sent to a reader. I found out, yeah, I got found out it got sent to a reader, so that told us it had tweaked their attention. Now, Let's put this into some context. That year that we submitted our script, Full Circle, it was one in 9,000 submissions they got. And this was your first submission and your first script, correct? Yes, yes. yes. Wow. Yes. So we waited a few more months. Then Tony found out, I forget who the guy was, but there was a gentleman from the show John Stillwell was coming here. They were going to do a little mini Trek convention with, uh, I think, uh, James Frank, Jonathan Franks and Marina Sardis were coming. And Donna's like, I'm booking my flight now. <laughs> <laughs> so we, 
we went and we met with him and he like melinda snodgrass was very cordial willing to talk to us and telling us how that pro how the whole process worked and going and he said it was great that it had gotten to a reader that meant that they saw something in it and then it, it went on to the next process and then there was a few more months no 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 he said you'll probably hear something in a few weeks yeah because you had me uh, as the contact person because i was in the same writer the west and and because of the mississippi you're in the east so you had me as the contact person right and then and then later later that month uh i was cooking dinner with one of my kids hanging on my leg <laughs> and then a phone call came and they asked for uh ramona well me and i thought it was a telemarketer yes we had them back then too <laughs> <laughs> and then uh all of a sudden she said hi i'm lolita from star trek and i about like kicked my set off my leg and, like <laughs> and I said, uh, yes, it's like, oh, you know, we got your script. We really, really like it. Uh, we're not interested in buying it, but would you be interested in pitching? And uh, I was like, well, what is that? And she told us it's, you know, you come and you give us ideas and, you know, we might buy some of those ideas. And she said, you can do it by phone or you can do it in person. Well, of course, I've never been to LA. Donna had never been to LA. So I was like, oh, we'll do it in person. And I had told Donna, I said, if we get a phone call, I'm just gonna call you up and scream. And that will be the message. And she did. <laughs> and she did. I mean, it was surreal to, that they called. I was just like, oh my God. And within a month, we went, We I had, yeah, within yeah, a month, we, we had scheduled a, a trip to L.A. And I had a boss that was really good. He loved Star Trek. And when he found out, he was like, yeah, take the time off. You need to go take the time off. I was I was freelancing at the time. So I had I I was in, you know, a good position to go too. the funny story about that is we get on. And now when you sign up to pitch, you get what they call a pitch kit. And it says, you know, do this, don't do that. Oh, we got advice from everybody. If if Tony wears pants, Donna, don't wear a skirt. You know, all I mean, from what to wear to if they give you water, say no. Ask if you want water, say no. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, just the most ridiculous things. Oh, Ellen, I'll probably only be like 10 minutes tops. Yeah, hmm. we were going to get 10 minutes, but we were going to get 10 minutes with Jerry Taylor, Renee Echeverria, uh, uh, and oh uh, uh, God, I just saw him. Ira, Ira Stephen Ira, Bear, yes, and yep. and we were going to get ten minutes with these people to pitch as many ideas as we could pitch in that ten minutes. So we're coming up with all these other ideas. So I flew from Jackson to Dallas, and I met Tony in Dallas, and we flew from Dallas to LA, and we were it was one of these wide, wide body planes, and we were in the middle section. And it was so funny because we were practicing and, and going over our stories and everything on the flight. <laughs> and, you know, you're talking about this race and this world and this alien and this, that, and the other. And they had brought us our meal and they had picked it up and we're still working. And we talked about, we were talking about some, you know, I don't remember, some dangerous clan of Klingons or something. And I looked over and the guy sitting next to me was suddenly leaning very far in the other direction.
direction. And the woman on the other side of Tony was doing the same thing the other way. You know, it's one of those, it's that old story about, you know, you're sitting plying a story about killing somebody's husband in a coffee shop and somebody overhears you. But we went, I have to tell you, it was quite a feeling to go through those gates at Paramount onto that lot to the production offices. And we got, like I said, we were only supposed to get like 10 or, or 15 minutes. We were in there 30 minutes because they kept asking us questions about our stories. And one of the stories, it's, it was so funny. I remember one of the stories we had paired Worf and Troy together. And they said, you know, we never thought of that. That's a great idea, you know. Oh. And, and they ended up doing that later on. She says it was just an angle that they had never thought of. No, they didn't steal our story. They just, it was just the concept. It's just a different perspective. I mean, you know, it's just kind of like brains and brawn and, you know, mm -hmm. heart and, and aggression and uh, passiveness. That kind of thing is where we were coming from. So we pitched and spent a couple of days in L.A., um, then, you know, came home. Well, the first thing I did. Oh, wait, you, you left out the best part. When we left, we, when it was time to go, they said, we look forward to hearing from you next time. Yeah. Which was like. It was, it, we're, we're, we're glad to see, it, it said, we're glad, we were glad to see you come so we could put a face to the name. Oh. And next time you pitch, you can do it by phone. Well, we had made a friend. I, I don't know how many your your viewers, they might know the name, Chris Vogler. He wrote, uh, uh Oh, I can't think of the name of his book, but it's the hero. It's, it's, it was an examination of Campbell's hero's journey as it applied to script writing. Mm -hmm. And Chris, at that time, we had gone to a workshop he had done in Texas and we just became friends with him. And he said, well, if when y'all get out here, call me. And uh, well, at the time he was working for Disney. So we spent a couple extra days and he took us on a tour of Disney studios and all this kind of things. And we went to lunch with him right after we pitched. And we just thought it was pretty cool. They said, you know, well, it, it's nice to put your face to a name. And next time you pitch, you can do it, you know, by phone. When we told him that at lunch, he just about fell off his chair. He says, do you know how many writers out here right now would kill to hear what you just heard? We had no idea. We had, we're clueless. We had no idea. We got invited to pitch again. So, so when, when they were ready to hear ideas, would they reach out to you? No, they said, when you're ready, call us and we'll set up an appointment. Wow. And that's when my boss comes in handy yeah. because again, you know, we had to go off LA time because we're, I'm two hours behind or we're both all, we're in time. Right. Same time. So yeah, he would say, you need to take an extended lunch or whatever. He was so cool with it and stuff. So it just really helped that we could do that during the day. She got a speaker phone, so we both could talk at the same time and, and everything. So we, I think we pitched, we pitched in November of that year again. Right. Well, well, something else happened before that, though. On the way back, I decided I moved from oh, Jackson right. to San You're Antonio. Still, yeah, we're in the same place now. So we could work, we could work like in the <laughs> same actual physical place. Mm -hmm. And before we left, some friends of mine here did a very cool thing for me. They came to my house and did a cool thing. 
we staged a reading of our original script. Oh, wow. A full circle. So we have that, I have that audio recording somewhere. I still have it, yes. And, uh, but I moved and we started putting together ideas to pitch. We called them and said, we're ready. And they gave us a date. And the day before we were scheduled to pitch, Gene Roddenberry died. Oh, my. So we said, well, well, you know, we looked at each other and said, well, you know, what do we do? And I said, you know, I said, out of respect for Roddenberry, let's call and offer to postpone. And we did that and they thanked us for it. So it was what, two or three weeks later? Well, it was in November, uh, you know, yeah. that we ended up, ended up doing the pitch. Yeah, we did. We pitched in November. And in that pitch was a story that our story, our take on the story was we had Deanna Troy disappear during a transporter event. And they all think she's dead. Well, she didn't disappear. She just, it's like she's unconscious with no brain activity. Mm, okay. And they call in her mother. In our story, we had a, a, a group of a race that existed as pure sentient intelligence. And that's how they existed. And they had grabbed her, in, her out of her body, essentially, telling them to join them as one of their sentient beings. And meanwhile, everybody on the Enterprise thinks, you know, they call in Lux Luxana and it's like, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to have to pull the plug and, and, and all this. And they liked that aspect of the story. And, and, and the whole time, Diana, as this sentient being, is trying to communicate with people on the, sh on the ship. It's, it's like she, she's in her, in her ethereal form. She's walking around trying to get Will to hear her, trying to get Beverly to hear her or the captain to hear her and nobody could hear her. So we pitched and like I said, they liked that idea and they said, okay, we'll take these and we'll get back to you. So went on and what we decided to do while we were waiting, we went ahead and said, wouldn't it be cool if they come back to us and say, we like this idea. We'd love to see what you could do with it in a script. So we wrote a script for this story idea. And I loved it because I got to write one of the, I could just see Major Barrett, just one of these scenes where she would just chew the scenery in grief over losing her daughter. And Worf comes and comforts her. And inevitably, when we were editing down the script to have it ready in case they asked for it, that was one of the first scenes that had to go. Uh -huh. And it just about killed my soul <laughs> because it was one of the scenes I had written. It's interesting that they, they later gave Loxana a really heavy grief-ridden episode in, in the end of the series. Yeah. Yeah, with the, they the, did. Yeah, the daughter that mm -hmm. we never knew about. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we went on and we continued to doing, other, you know, we started developing more stories to pitch to them again in case they didn't buy any of these and, and go on and on. And by that time I was living in San Antonio. So they had my number now. 
So they, um, in February of, what year are we in now, 91? February 92, they bought the story. They bought, well, they said, we're gonna, well, we got a call in December that the story had gone from being, now you remember the original, the original script was one in 9,000. Mm -hmm. Then, then the, the, then it went to one in 500 that got sent to a reader and on down. We found out in December that our story had become one of three sent to Michael Pillar. And this is the, the one being developed now with Deanna. Right, right. Then in February, we got the, we got the call that we love your story idea. How we're not, we're going to buy the story idea and we're going to combine it with another story idea and have one of our writers put their twist on it. They bought just enough of it that they did not have to give us full screen credit for it. Hmm. But what they had to do, because we had A, registered that first script with the Writers Guild, and B, because in freelancing I had written, produced, and directed a short play, I was considered a professional, so they had to pay us Guild rates. Hmm. Normally, they only paid, you know, a set amount for a story idea. Right. But because I was a professional in the eyes of the Writers Guild, they had to pay us guild rates, which was 10 times that. So they, they bought it. They, you know, we got all the contracts. We've got pictures of us signing the contracts. <laughs> and all. I mean, it, it, wouldn't you? Of course. <laughs> you kidding? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, then they said, well, we'll let you know, you know, and then we found out what the name of the episode was going to be. And then, and it was like, when they bought it in February, they said, oh, we're going into production with this next month and it will air in May. And we were just flabbergasted that quick of a turnaround. Mm -hmm. So we planned this big Star Trek watching party and we sent out Starfleet communiques to all our friends to attend and said, you know, we will be serving, you know, Ferengi dip and Romulan ale and all of these things. Um, but what we didn't tell them, and we had, my family came from Louisiana and Tony had friends come in and we had this huge, big party of all our friends to watch the episode the night it aired. Well, my friends in Jackson who worked for the television station that then aired Next Generation, Mm -hmm. they got they recorded or they got the feed early they aired it in san antonio it aired on saturday night in jackson it aired on wednesday nights oh wow so several days several days so he recorded it and overnighted me a vhs of the episode i got to watch it ahead of time tony chose not to but then what we also did speaking of Tony's wonderful boss at the TV station, he sent a TV crew to interview us for a news story that we didn't tell any of our friends at the party. So at the, we made sure the TV at the party was turned on, you know, 10 minutes early 
because the last news story on the 10 o'clock news that night was us. And it went from that into our episode. That's so great. You know, and we've had just, I mean, again, this, the excitement and all of this, you know, and all of this is over, you know, I hate to say it, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's still, uh, you know, it's a good story about never giving up and, and just following what you want to do and well just try and just trying just taking that chance well i have to ask this is you know the episode that became the next phase and it became right. a, a jordy yes. and row episode and one right. that i feel like a lot of fans really love what are your feelings on what your pitch became for me i i really think ours was a different story it was more about, you know, Loxana, Troy, the lure of, you know, living, uh, living forever and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, in, in our story, she was starting to go, yeah, I'll do this until they decided they, you know, they wanted Loxana too, you know, and we're trying to take her against her will. Oh. And that's when Deanna, you know, um, fought back. But I, I guess for me, I like the next phase. I, I enjoyed the episode immensely, but I really think it could have been two different episodes. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't think that type, I guess they're using the ghost effect and the cloaking effect as kind of the same thing. And in my mind, it wasn't. I, I really think those were two different stories. They could have got, they could have had our story and I think they could have had uh, the other guy's story too, or other woman uh, or, but you know. Yeah. There's, I think the, the other story, I, from my perspective, the other story that they bought had to do with the Romulan. Yeah, it was totally, to me, different. Yeah. Our story, I think, too, was an examination of grief and funeral rituals. So Data's little speech in the shuttle about all the different funeral rituals he had researched and all of that. That I recognized as part of our story. Mm -hmm. The desperation of Jordy and Roe trying to communicate with their friends on the ship, that was our story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The, you know, and the palpable grief from the crew members, that was our story. I liked what they did. I can remember vividly watching it at the party with all of our friends and the scene where Roe was in the, in sick bay, I think it is, and Picard just walked right through her. And everybody at the, you could hear this audible gasp, this, <gasps> when it happened. And that mm -hmm. was the coolest feeling to know that that came out of something we had created. And uh, so um, I was pleased with the overall episode. I thought it was, it was great. Uh, we got a little bit of a gift what, about two years ago, Tony, at Dragon Con? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 because they had uh, the Star Trek. Everybody was there except LeVar Burton and uh, Patrick Stewart. Of the original cast, but everybody that was there had been in our episode. Uh-huh. So we made sure we bought one of the professional photo ops of us with that cast. Oh, that's so great. Uh, I haven't done it yet, and I need to. There's this wonderful vendor at Dragon Con that they make uh, frames, picture frames uh, of like your favorite yeah. show and things. And I talked to them and if 
if we did, we could get pictures from the next phase and they would make us a frame. They would do a Star Trek one for us. I just have never had it done, but I still have that photo. I treasure that photo. I remember at Dragon Con uh, that you're going up to Gates McFadden and talking to her and telling her, I only bought one photo op this year and it was with you guys and here's why. And she just thought that was the coolest thing. She was just so very nice about it. And we actually, we were kind of, we were a little, you know, as you can imagine, a little blown away by having all of them there and getting the opportunity to stand with them, get the photos taken. Right. And we had to take the photo twice because Tony had closed her eyes or something. <laughs> no, I had this horrible, I don't know what was on. I had this horrible expression when I saw it. I was like making a comment like, oh my God, this is a horrible picture. And the people there, I think for Epic Photo Ops was like, do you want to, do you want to do a retake? And I was like, this looks terrible. Could I? So they looked at it, both of them looked at it, looked at me and went, yeah. <laughs> Epic, Epic is pretty good about that. <laughs> I was shocked because, you know, that was all on me. That was me. But I thought that was so nice of them to do that because, you know, I didn't want that to be my memory of my picture of, of this face right. I made. Yeah, I'd be curious to know, too, how much the cast even knows about this process, you know, because they're busy making the episodes, you know, filming. Well, I, I think they do because I later, we, me and Donna, uh, we kind of went our different directions with writing and because of the articles and stuff that were written about us, I'm not sure how bad it was for Donna, but for me, I got people calling me all the time, like trying for me to get them in or get their script looked at or like I had all this power. Mm. And I said, look, all you have to do is do what we, do. I mean, I mean, I'm saying that and it sounds so simple, but I mean, there was like, you understand there was nothing I physically could do about it. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't, yeah, it was like a, what, almost a two and a half, three year process. Yeah. And it was like, you know, and they, cause they were still doing it. And I had one person that called me up and said, look, cause they all wanted stuff from me. And I was just like, I can't do anything for you. But he said, I just want to talk to you. You know, I, I have scripts I was working on and I didn't want to look at them. But I said, he just says, I just want to pick your brain. And, you know, I thought about Melinda Sodgrass and how she sat out with us. She didn't have to do that, but she did. And right. so I met him and we talked and hit it off and he had some good ideas. And uh, so I ended up pitching Next Generation with him. His name is Jack Trevino, and we started pitching, and we did uh, a couple of pitches, and one of them we did, I don't know if you know Renee and Cheveria, he was mm -hmm. one of the writers, we kind of clicked with him, and um, Robert Hewitt Wolf, and we, we pitched a time travel story, and that was the end, towards the end of Next Generation, and they said, where are you doing one, it was, I think it was called Time Zero, and everything I said, well, I said, he and, and it was like Donna wasn't with me anymore, but they let me bring Jack in, so we didn't have to rewrite a script or anything. Um, we were able, I was able to continue with Jack. And so we asked him, I said, Well, is there any way you can get us on DS9? Because he was moving over, and he said, Yeah, I'll see what I can do. So, so you weren't pitching to a combined room, you were pitching specifically to the next gen. 
through. Yeah, usually, I, I think, Donna, when we pitched on the speakerphones, it was usually with one writer, right? I think it was it was with one or two. Tops, yeah. So for, for, for the last, the ones that I did with Jack, it was usually one person. So we kind of had our, like, when we got a certain writer, we were like, yay. Or uh -huh. some of them, we were like, oh, you know. <laughs> Now, at the, at the time, too, I had gone on, we, because of the Star Trek, you were talking about opportunities, we were contacted by a film producer wanting to know if we would be interested in writing a feature film script. Wow. I took, I, that she was going to pitch, I took to it. Tony didn't like it so much. She loved, she loved the Star Trek world. Well, is that, and plus, for me, it's, I, you know, I knew those characters. It was hard for me to develop somebody new than to follow the blueprint of, of characters we already knew and the design. For me, that was my niche. And when Tony called me and said, hey, this guy wants me, you know, Jack wants me to do this with him and I'll do you, I mean, and she did, she called and said, you know, do you mind? And I said, hey, of course not. Take, you know, you, that's your opportunity. Do it. Go for it. And then, like I said, you said they made the connection with Renee and pitched the the time travel episode, and the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah, we we pitched that and uh, everything. They didn't take it, so we got our first DS9 pitch with Renee, and we altered it. Uh, we had pitched the original story for Next Generation was. The Enterprise has to go back in time to Roswell to uh, these Ferengis somehow time travel back and Picard and Riker and all of them have to go back to Roswell to write the situation. And because of Time Zero, they were like, no, we can't do another time travel. So it's fine. So when we got on DS9. Well, my God, there's Quark <laughs> and then his brother and Nog. And so we revised it to fit the DS9 world. And we repitched it with Renee. And we also pitched another one with Kieran Ducat thing. And then a few months later, I get a call at work. My, well, no, my husband called me and says, hey, uh, Star Trek called, you just need to call him back. And so I was like, okay. So I talked to my boss and said, hey, um, do you mind if I, you know, I have to call LA? It, you know, because it was, it was the thing is I'm sitting there worried about their long distance feel. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I called it, it's Renee, and he's like, hey, you know, he says, uh, hey, good news. Um, we're going to buy that script with Kira and Decault. I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? And he says, are you sitting down? I said, yeah. He says, you remember that time travel story you pitched me? He goes, I go, yeah. He goes, we're buying that one, too. Oh, my gosh. And I was just like. Freak, I mean, I was freaking out like, oh, my God. And so he says, now, he says, we want y'all to write it. Then I really started getting nervous. It was like, what? Because we'd never done that. Uh -huh. So uh, he says, okay. He says, we're going to send you some samples of, you know, what, how we write our stories, what we go off and we write our um, scripts and everything. So I had a call, I called Jack, and he's freaking out and everything. So we had to sit down and the first one we did was indiscretion i don't know if you know that dia stein mm -hmm. story he they liked it they said it reminded them of the searchers okay and on retrospect i said well yeah i guess it does except with our story we you know 
we then we had Kira totally in the dark about him gonna, you know, go after his daughter until she turns around and you see she's Clint, uh, Bajoran and Cardassian. Because mm. the whole story we had was we just thought she was Cardassian. It wasn't till she turns around, they find her, and she turns around that when Kira sees her, it realizes, oh no. And that, you know, Ducat actually does try to kill her with and Kira saves her. But they they made that one more searchers is what they did with it. But we wrote, you know, we wrote the story. It was about nine pages. And it was kind of neat to see what they kept, what they didn't keep, um, and everything. And so then we had to turn around after we submitted that. And then we had to do the other story, which turned out to be Little Green Men. That one, they kept a lot more. So I think we did a better job writing the story. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because they named um, one of the nurses, Nurse Garland, I guess after Beverly Garland, the actress. Well, my dad's name is Garland. So this whole time he always thought I named that character after him. So it's like, yeah, dad. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, they uh, they did that one, which actually, I think, with having Nog and Quark, it, it was better as a DS9 story. But I, I think the important thing is they got actual screen credit for those episodes. And that was really cool. Yeah, we got screen credit. We still get residuals from it. And it's been 25 years. Yeah. And Indiscretion introduced a recurring character in, in Zial. Do you get is there any credit for that? in her appearances in other episodes i found some of the paperwork we didn't they didn't give it to us they said i can't remember the the terminology but we did seek to get that but we didn't i wonder if um they were already dealing with that because of the the whole tom paris situation on voyager i don't know right because they had to that's basically the same character we see we saw in the first duty but they had to change his name because of something with the rights. That's a good question. I, I don't know. One of the coolest things of this whole experience is, is one, is the knowledge, even now, of knowing that, more so Tony than me, but even that I'm just this minuscule little blip, but I am a part of Star Trek history. Mm-hmm. And Tony and Jack, more so, they've got actual screen credits and things. And then it, it just worked itself into beautifully. Now, part-time, I write and edit and review for SpoilerTV.com, and I got to review the new Star Trek, Picard. So I was, I'm the reviewer for that show. So it felt like it was all coming full circle for me this year. Yeah. The name of the original script. I know. Yeah. <laughs> True. I didn't think about that. But like Jack, we also pitched for Voyager. Went on to Voyager and pitched. And then I stopped. And then Jack, he partnered up with another person. He did the same thing where he's like, hey, Tony. And I said, fine. And him, he and I don't know the guy, but he, they sold something. They were going to sell something to Enterprise. However, they cut the season short or something, and his was one of the ones they mm-hmm. cut. But there was another writer from San Antonio, too, Ethan Kalk. And he, he uh, actually doesn't live too far from me either. And he was a middle school science teacher, and he wrote uh, God, Children of Time. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, and he's from San Antonio too. So he did the same thing, you know, we all did. You know, he submitted his script and everything. And you remember the early on, uh, the guy from Austin, I think he wrote Tin Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things were things that gave you, um, you know, hope that if they can do it, you can do it. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's a couple of years even after the episode aired, and things like that, Tony and I would get invitations to speak to writers' conferences or fan conferences, uh, that kind of thing. We went to Oklahoma City and spoke to a group, um, different things. And even now is, uh, I mean, like I said, it's it's been 30 years for me. And even now, if I meet somebody new and they say, oh, this is Donna, it's so cool. She's old to Star Trek. And then I have to tell this. I mean, that was my reaction. It's like she has to tell the story. <laughs> and then we tell the story over, you know, we tell the story again. And uh-huh. that's what I meant about it being so cool to be a just a small part of the history of this, this incredible show, you know. Well, let me ask, you were both working in TV already. Were, did you have like sites set on writing because I, I you said you came from from a fan perspective of wanting to to put right something that bothered you i i did not i i mean i worked i did some writing but i wrote commercials you know or uh-huh. promos for our station i did really have ask, I, I mean i used to write little silly stories when i was got in middle school but I really didn't have aspirations to be a writer or anything. It, you know, it wasn't until, you know, Donna came and said, Hey, we can bring her back. You know, that was the spark, at least for me. And Donna, she also wrote, she wrote stuff there at the station too, but uh, you know, I, for uh, commercials and things like that too. But I don't know, Donna, if that was more your aspiration to do other things like you're doing now been a writer my entire life. I wrote my first short story when I was six. And by short story, I mean, I was home from school because a hurricane was coming. So I'm writing a short story about a man in a haunted house. And Mm -hmm. I would put all my chapters on one page. And then I went back and I took the paper and everything that was blank, I cut off. So my mother has these little strips, or had these little strips of paper that were stapled together. That was my first short story. Wow. And she actually told somebody years later that she still had those somewhere. I couldn't believe it. But I've been a writer. I, I, I went on ahead and the uh, producer that asked us about a, a screenplay, I finished that screenplay. And it was, it is still with an agent. And every now and then we get an inquiry about it mm. and all. It was, it was a cool story. It was about a worldwide global snowfall and about a meteorologist who was fighting to come up with a solution to it because the government's solution was sort of a nuclear winner. Cool. <laughs> uh, I had a friend who we had gone to a writer's convention and was telling a script doctor about it or he was a book doctor a book doctor and I told him the story it says oh it's Dr. Strangelove meets seven days in May in snow and I said you know what I never (laughs) thought of it that way but that's exactly the story you know um every now and then like I said we'll we'll still get uh I've gone on I've got I've written a couple of manuscripts novels um 
I used to write a long time ago, I used to write a lot of fan fiction. So maybe that's where I gravitated towards writing for television. Hmm. I have stories that I would love to see, you know, and right now I'm getting my fix, if you will, maybe not, that's not the right word, but I get satisfaction of writing about and reviewing other stories for spoiler TV. Mm -hmm. You know, I reviewed uh, Killing Eve. I reviewed The Oath with Katrina Law. I reviewed Waco. Uh, I'm the uh, part-time reviewer for Supergirl. I'm on a roundtable for Batwoman and Stumptown. You know, just a number of a variety of different shows. And I, I not only write for the website, I edit and I do uh, occasional uh, opinion pieces for them. So I'm, I'm enjoying it that way. It's kind of re-energizing my love of writing for television. So who knows, maybe I might take a crack at another script. I remember that I had written after the Star Trek one, thinking, well, maybe some other shows will do this. I wrote spec scripts for Lois and Clark, and I wrote, we wrote a couple. Did we do them together, or did I do the X-Files one? No, we both, we did an X-Files one. I still have it. I still have it. I still have it, you know thinking other shows but at the time and like i said at the time we originally did this star trek was one of maybe three shows at the time that had that that open submission policy that would take scripts from unagented writers so so selling getting getting your your idea your story sold to star trek that didn't lead to like getting it an agent not for me because my my i guess with me having uh you know my husband and my my kids uh, going to Los Angeles or doing any of that stuff wasn't some a goal for me. I would, I guess, I would view this more as a hobby mm-hmm. thing. It wasn't a, a career goal for either of you. Well, I, I, I don't think I would enjoy it much if I'd had a, a deadline mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. The only time I had an agent per se was through this producer that I had signed a contract with. I never considered at the time. I was so very young that I really didn't think I could, I knew how many writers, aspiring writers there were in LA and that kind of thing. And maybe I didn't have the self-confidence in myself then that I maybe think I do now. Well, you, you said a little bit ago, like you, all you have to do is the same thing that, that we did, right? In terms of getting your script seen, but you can give somebody an outline. You can, you can give them a format, but it still has to be a quality script. They have to have the, the talent and the work ethic to, to make it as, as good as it can be. Right. Because, yeah, a lot of them wanted shortcuts. Right. And with this, you know, there's no shortcut. Right. You've got to pack a lot of story. You know, in a one-hour show back then, a, a, a one-hour script was actually about 45 minutes of film. Mm-hmm. So you had to pack a lot of story in a very, so you had to learn how to self-edit your story. You had to learn how to condense story. You had to learn to tell a lot in a very short amount of time. You had to learn, and I always remember Melinda Snodgrass telling us this, you had to learn how to paint pictures with your words. Yes. And that has served me well in my writing career since then. I, you know, like I said, I've, I've written a couple of uh, book manuscripts and things and entered some contests with them. And I, and it came back to me when I won a contest 
and got to sit down with the judge who was a, a book editor. And the first thing she told me, she says, you paint such great pictures with your words. Oh, what a compliment. You know, and I'm going, oh, okay, that's, you know. So you learn, you learn a lot about self-editing because it, it's, it's hard too in, in particularly in writing a script in, you've got to trust the director to, to see how a character is going to react to something. You give the director the idea, it's his job, his or her job to take that script and, and bring it to life adding his take and what camera angles and that kind of thing. I, I tell you, like I said, like Tony said, we, we bought those scripts and I just, in fact, I just bought two this year of episodes I particularly liked of a show. And I, because both of them had these great scenes in them and I wanted to see how that scene was written. And the first one just absolutely blew me away that it was maybe a half a page on the scene, on the, on the, on the, written page and what those two actresses in that scene did with those just very minimal direction was unbelievable it's got to be so gratifying for a writer to see an actress or an actor or a director that can interpret your words like that so that would be you know that's maybe the, you know a future goal that's so great is is there anything that that we didn't talk about that that either of you would like to share about these experiences it was just it was a really fun ride and i i'm it still I'm so is thankful. <laughs> yeah and i'm thankful that you know michael pillar was such a, i guess a visionary exactly to open that up like that because a lot of people i mean i don't right. know everybody that was able to do what we did i mean i i, I know at least you know two others um personally but i i mean there were a lot of good stories written by people or fans just like us. And a lot of people credit this, this open submissions policy for their career. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just feel like a lot of those Star Trek writers, I see their names on so many different shows, you know, and I, they were so, so nice. And I mean, nice to us, respectful they listened. I mean, you know, there's times where we pitch stories that, you know, we had pitched a story and I mean, I'll be honest, I thought ours was, it, it was a whole lot better than what it ended up being, what they did. Mm -hmm. That's just how it goes. And right. you have to kind of keep your ego in check too. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to a lot of the, well, a few of the, the authors who write some of the tie-in fiction and one of the questions I, I like I have asked in the past is, you know, how do you deal with being your your prose, the book that you were hired to write, being contradicted by what then happens on screen or what comes in a later book? And uh, they all say, you know, it it stings the first time or maybe even the second time, but the check cashed, <laughs> yeah. so you you get over it. <laughs> and, and I would and it, and again I would echo with what Tony says. It's is to a fault. Nobody was rude or condescending or anything to us. I mean, we sat for 30 minutes because it says, oh, well, you get 10 minutes in Jerry Taylor's office. Well, back mm -hmm. then, Jerry Taylor was almost as big a holy grail as Michael Pillar. She was the executive producer of the show. 
And ironically, she had been an executive producer on In the Heat of the Night. And that had filmed in Canton, Mississippi, which is 1050 miles north of Jackson. So we made a connection talking about Mississippi, of all things. But it broke mm. the ice for us when we pitched. Right, right, right. You know, Melinda Snodgrass, Eric Stilwell, Renee, and Jerry Taylor, and everyone that we contacted or, or spoke to with the show was just, you know, they were encouraging, they were supportive, they were telling you, you know, well, next time try this, or, you know, they never made you leave discouraged. I just have to say, I love that the whole journey started for you because you wanted to do right by a character you thought that had been wronged. And I wrote, um, after the episode aired, I was freelancing in San Antonio and I wrote an article for the Sunday magazine for the San Antonio Express News. And I don't know if y'all, you remember like in, in, in newspapers, sometimes on Sunday you would get like a parade magazine or something, mm -hmm. you know, when well, yep. this was the San Antonio Express News magazine of that. And I started the article and, and I said to think it all started because we got angry that they killed Tasha Yar. Yeah. Thank you to that writer that did that because he lit a fire under us. Oh, I love it so much. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Thank you so much for this. I, I know, Donna, you said you're writing at, is it Spoilers TV? It's SpoilerTV.com. SpoilerTV.com. Right. I write as uh, capital D, capital J-R-I-T-E-R. -E and that is my Twitter handle also, if anybody sees me out there. Fantastic. Tony, if anybody wanted to, to get in touch with you, or, or are you on, on social media or writing anywhere? No, I have no projects. You know, I, I, um, I'm right now eagerly waiting discovery. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm waiting for season two of Star Trek Picard, but I'm more eagerly waiting for them to announce that they're going to do a spinoff with Seven of Nine. <laughs> Oh, I would love that. Well, Sue, we appreciate you having us on and, and giving us this chance to kind of go down memory lane for us. It had been a long time since we had talked about this. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. This was great. I love it. For more from Women at Warp, you can find us at womenatwarp.com. Send us an email at crew, C-R-E-W, at womenatwarp.com. Or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. Thank you.